All right, guys, we want to bring up another sponsor of ours. It is Kelsey Picker Realtor with Keller Williams Coastal Area Partners. And if you need to buy or sell property anywhere in the United States, go to kelseypicker.kw.com. And her information will be at the bottom of that page or reach out to us at any of our social media pages or our email, and we will be happy to put you in touch. <laughs> Who's that coming down the track? Who's that coming down the track? It's a mean machine in red and black. It's a mean machine in red and black. Ain't nothing butter in the land. Ain't nothing butter in the land. And a drunk obnoxious Georgia fan. And a drunk obnoxious Georgia fan. Go no! What's up, y'all? This is John and Mike back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast and we're gonna talk about a bunch of stuff today it's gonna kind of be a uh catch-up podcast for the most part since we had the uh to hell with everyone episode last week and you know we're gonna start with the late or uh og signing period that starts tomorrow and it's signing period not signing day because it is a period of time it just used to be most people commit on that first day um, and then obviously we're going to talk about the, uh, locker room drama that's been happening over the last couple of weeks with alleged nefarious activities going on. And then, you know, we're going to have some fun with some offensive coordinator speculation, but before we get started, Mike, you drink anything tonight? Um, so I probably have another sinus infection, so I'm just trying to down as much water as I can. I almost was drowning in mucus at school today. I had to stop talking several times and like try not to die. So just trying to oh, I'm sure your middle schoolers were so disappointed that you had to stop talking. <laughs> oh, they were they were so so worried about me, you know. Um <laughs> so you know empathetic empathetic for sure. You know, you know that age group. Em- empathetic in middle schoolers is not something I've ever heard in the same sentence. <laughs> Psych- they're psychopaths trying to to learn long division. Like it's it's a hellhole. Nobody, nobody remembers. Uh, nobody peaks in middle school. I should say so. And if you do, you're part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I am drinking a Penelope Barrel Strength uh, Private Select Blend that a couple buddies of mine did. Shout out! Uh, shout out the guys up at BS and Bourbon. Now, now doing an Oak and Thieves Barrel Collective situation, but always got some good stuff. And this is actually from a couple of years ago. I'm, I am on a uh, bottle kill spree here lately. From all of my bottles that have like one or two drinks left, I'm like, ah, screw it, I'll just kill it. It just makes more room on your uh, on your shelf. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think I counted earlier, ninety seven bottles. Um, after I reorganized this afternoon. So try it, you know, probably for my wife's, uh, for her mental health, I'll try and keep that number under a hundred. Yeah. Try to keep it under triple digits. That's, that's probably a good move. Yeah. Is Caleb said I need problem? to, uh, maintain it 99. So it's 99 bottles of booze on the wall, but <laughs> That's a commitment because then every time I drink one, I got to buy another one. Like, I just. That's a lot. <laughs> but, I mean, 
You can tell by the number of bottles I have, I have much more of a buying problem than a drinking problem. Right. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's good to have a collection. Because I do not drink near as much as I buy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's go ahead and get it kicked off talking about uh, talking about signing day. And we're going to give a little bit of uh, recruiting, a little bit of a recruiting update before we get too deep into tomorrow. But as of today, January 31st, Georgia has the second ranked class just behind Alabama with five five stars, 17 four stars, and four three stars committed. The biggest name recruit that Georgia has left um, that's really considering the dogs well, I guess there's a couple, but the biggest, like absolute biggest. Um, just, you know, another number one tight end in the country. Uh, he is the number one overall player in the state of Arizona and the number 17 overall player in the country. And that man is Deuce Robinson. And as far as I'm aware, that is his legal name. Deuce. I mean, it's a West Coast. It makes sense. Yeah, it tracks. It tracks. Mm-hmm. Um. And Deuce is currently crystal balled to Georgia with the experts, and that's in air quotes for those of you that are listening, saying they have a medium level of confidence in the prediction. And if you are only medium confident, why are you predicting something? But I don't know. Weathermen still get paid. So does Desmond Howard. So you don't have to be right. Nothing. Facts don't matter anymore. Beliefs don't matter. Nothing matters. Who cares? Especially on this podcast, we are anti-facts. <laughs> Hashtag no facts only. Um, so the other teams that Georgia is fending off for Robinson are USC in that Southern California, not USC Junior over in Columbia, so the real Alabama, one. Texas, and Oregon. And those are all teams in the top 10 for overall classes this cycle. And if he goes to Texas and maybe they get one or two more guys, they have the potential to move up to that number two overall class, which, I mean, just outside of us being Georgia fans, Texas having number two class, they're back, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, they've been back with uh, less accomplishments. So, sure, why not? Yeah, Sam Elliger said they were back a few years ago before they fired two coaches. (laughs) They're just back to firing coaches. That's what they're back to, just back to being mean. Ah, so got back, it. Back got to getting it. their hopes up. Yes, that is that is real. If you're a team that says you're back, it's just back to getting your hopes crushed. <laughs> Tennessee, Michigan, Texas. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of Michigan hate today. I am sorry, Mike. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to it. It comes with the territory. It, it's, I mean, it's easy to pick on them. With the, uh, Especially with, with Harbaugh. With all the shit going on with them, it's, it's easy. It's an easy target. Especially with Harbaugh. Yeah. Yeah, I can see. I mean, he's my guy. I love him. I mean, just, I mean, in the same vein as Kirby being a, you know, uh, 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 being an alumni or at least have, had gone there. I don't know if he graduated or not, which we need to talk about that with Stetson later on. Yes. But, um, yeah, it's – God, he's – yeah, he's a he's a coach that only like a fan base of that school could love. Yeah, no, I I can see that. I mm. I yeah, 
I, you know, we talked about it before. When your Super Bowl is beating Ohio State, you're uh, you're destined for postseason mediocrity. And that's always been the thing with them is that um, I think we probably talked about it before, but like that has always been the thing. I mean, Bo Schemmichler never won a national championship. It was Lloyd Carr that won it. Like that was two coaches afterward um, for all the, you know, the praise that Bo got. I mean, he won Big Ten championships, but he never realistically sniffed a natty. Like he may have been in the conversation, but it was never going to be a thing with him because he sucked in bowl games, which is another Michigan tradition. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Deuce Robinson, six foot six, 225 pounds. And once he gets into the college strength and conditioning program, I could see, I mean, I could easily see like 240 and not really losing much speed and agility. Um, But I watched some of his tape and I kind of want to talk about what I saw, especially if he does commit to Georgia. His ability to make catches away from his body and high point the football is not something you typically see in high school. So, I mean, it, yeah, you can go watch the tape. It's all over YouTube. But, like, he can catch a fade in the end zone like a college player. Like, he'll jump up, hands all the way up, catch the football two feet in, and the other guy looks like he's not even trying because they're so much smaller than him. Um, huge catch radius, huge. I mean, in his, in his highlight tape, he makes shoestring catches. He makes diving catches, jumping up for the fades in the end zone. I mean, everything you could want out of a tight end, this guy's got, including his downfield blocking in the run game. It's rare that you see somebody put their blocking on their highlight tape but he has multiple plays of where he's blocking in his highlight tape. And you never, and to be fair, this is highlight tape. I didn't see him get tackled by a single person once. It was always, he got run out of bounds or it was like three or four guys to take him down. I couldn't imagine even trying to tackle him, even as a full, full grown man. I mean, he's, (laughs) we're the same weight, but he's got four or five inches on me. I couldn't imagine. He'd break my back. (laughs) <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> pause all right we'll just glance right past that um one thing is he has he's he's fast but he's not he's not brock bowers fast like we've talked about it many times on this show brock bowers is not human he is some sort of alien it's almost like if if like the Russians genetically engineered someone to put into American football for some reason. They're like, oh, he's stupid fast. He can run. He can catch. He's also big enough to block on the outside. And, and, oh, and you just toss him the ball in the middle of the field. He'll make five guys miss on his way to the end zone as a freshman. Insane. It, wild. We're talking about Deuce, not not Brock. No. Um, wild thing about Deuce Robinson is he is a not two sport athlete. He is a three sport athlete. Varsity football, baseball, and basketball. And he got a baseball offer from UGA. So if he decides to come to Georgia, 
he is going to be a two sport athlete in college. Um, and I, I understand from my understanding is that he got offered baseball first before he even got offered football. Like they, he's, he's, correct. I mean, he's the same size as, uh, as Aaron judge. Um, for those of you guys that follow baseball, um, huge. I mean, <laughs> you can see why you can, and, and from, from what I was, I was listening to some stuff earlier, um, about him because I hadn't followed recruiting super, super closely, uh, this cycle. Cause you know, we were too busy, you know, worrying about the actual shit going on in the field and winning championships. Um, but there's a, there's a possibility that he gets drafted this year um, in the major league baseball uh, draft. So there, you know, even if he does sign his letter of intent, um, there's a possibility that he may not even play for whatever school he goes to, because he's just apparently that good at baseball. So yeah. You want. Yeah. So he, from my understanding, he had a private workout with the Dodgers over the last couple of weeks. Not them. No. Right. I don't want to hate this kid, but I might have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, and I got this from another podcast, but if he's drafted to the major leagues out of high school and he He's only going to go if he gets drafted high enough to actually get a good contract. But if he gets drafted out of high school and he gets a minor league deal, he is allegedly trying to work it out with the team that he gets drafted by to be able to play college football and minor league baseball until either he gets called up or quits one of the two. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. And like I said, wow. that is that is very alleged. And if that happens, he would essentially have to get drafted by the Braves or Mets, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. because the Braves have single A up in Rome, so it wouldn't be too far. And the Mets have a minor league team in Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there is a possibility too. I'm sure this wasn't talked about, but uh, you remember um, the uh, what Brandon Whedon? Like he played minor league baseball for a while, and then he then he was even I think he was even older than Stetson when he uh, when he played at Oklahoma State as their quarterback. Right. Um, it's a different situation, of course. Uh, well, I think it's a different situation, but uh, that's another route he could go if he chooses. And there was a couple guys on the 2017 team. I want to say it was one of the backup safeties. And like a backup linebacker that played minor league baseball for like five years hmm. and then came to Georgia. And I can't remember their names, but it they were definitely older guys before they even stepped on campus. Um but I mean it's definitely it's definitely a route he could take. And I'm sure with his athleticism, if he decides to go the baseball route, Kirby would say, if you ever decide to go to college football. You are welcome. Mm-hmm. Always, be um, always. I would be. Always. Su- I wouldn't be surprised if Kirby goes to Gwinnett Braves games and he's like, "Hey, <laughs> you got eligibility left?" <laughs> With the boombox just playing, Deuce, Deuce, <laughs> come back. So there's actually another guy that you brought up to my attention right before we came on here tonight. Uh, that is. On some sites, he's crystal balled to 
Georgia, and some sites he is crystal ball to another school, but it's Walker Lions. He is 6'4", 230 out of California, the number nine tight end in the country. Well, depending on where you look, the 247 composite, which takes all services into account. Um, number five tight end, according to the composite, number 10 player in California and 123rd in the country. Um, but I, I kind of let you go into that because you knew more about him than I did before we got on here tonight. Yeah, so he um, he hasn't committed yet, and there's not it's not for certain that he is going to commit uh, on uh, on Wednesday or during the early uh, not early signing period, but the signing period. Um, but he um, let me go back to the typo. Um, he's from Folsom, California, six four two twenty five. So I mean, basically the same size as uh, Brock Bowers was, but a little bit lighter um, than him when he came out of Napa, but. One of the, the thing that that sparked that got my attention with it was his uh, situation. So he is um, a member of the Church of uh, Latter-day Saints. So he is Mormon. Um, his parents both went to BYU. Um, and here, I mean, here's his uh, uh, just a quick, you know, last little bit of his bio here from on three. Uh, Lyons is also a Latter-day Saint and is considering serving his mission while he was in college. Uh, so he may do that before he actually steps on campus or during it at some point. He, he, is, he has a higher calling. His parents, Tim and uh, Cami Lyons, attended school at BYU, has four siblings, Cassidy, Capri, Ryder, and Rockwell. And he is also, he also loves to soak, which is crazy. I can't believe on three would say shit like that. Very offensive. Right. Uh, you know, super soaker. Yeah, I was about to say, we, you know, if he comes to Georgia, just bring bring uh water guns to games and just super soaker (laughs) um please come on the pod walker please please we will attempt to refrain from religious jokes yeah and i say it we we, uh we respect your beliefs especially if you come to athens yeah no i don't I'm not going to make it fun of anybody for believing in something, but I will make fun of any stereotype. Oh, absolutely. That's part of the fun also, part of football. Man, Folsom, California play play Folsom City Blues in the in Sanford. I'm here for it. Yeah, I mean, since you got to get rid of uh, you know, Kanye's uh, power, you know, you know, during the fourth quarter, you know, may- maybe just go a hard different direction who knows (laughs) and that's actually you know i i keep saying i want to but i really need to uh to put some effort into getting the uh stadium dj on the podcast because i have a lot of ideas and they're probably all stupid and he will probably ignore them all but i have a lot of ideas spinning out ideas ideas podcasts yeah ideas no facts um, so that's, that's kind of the, the biggest thing from signing day. The late signing period has lost a lot of its, uh, a lot of its draw since the early signing period got started. And I'm not against the early signing period. I know a lot of people and a lot of people don't like it, but man, I, I remember and, you know, it's different for everybody, and especially because I'm a lot younger than a lot of people that we talk to on the show. 
But I remember in high school, early signing period, I would get up so really early. And for me, I would put ESPNU on TV while I was getting ready for school. I took it another step. I would stay home that day, like that first day. I mean, that and like the NBA trade deadline for me growing up, like in high school, like take that shit off. I <laughs> got the black lung. You got to stay home, mom. And I would, you know, stay home uh, or, you know, and uh, and watch that. It was, a, it was a holiday. I will say I tried to not miss any school in high school because my high school did a thing where if you had, I want to say it was like five or less missed days through the semester, you were allowed to skip finals. So many finals. We, if we you, like you had to have a certain was, grade in the yeah. class. Mm-hmm. You got to have a certain grade in the class, but you could skip that final. So I would always try to get good grades in the hard classes, not miss school, and dip out on the finals. And the best thing was they only, it was like you had three finals one day and three finals the next day. Mm-hmm. So if you skipped the three finals on the second day, you just didn't have to show up. Damn. I think the summer some, started I early. I want to say we had something similar to that, but um, senioritis hit me hard. My wife, or my girlfriend, now wife, because we dated in high school, um, 16 years, going strong. But um, we, uh, she is a year ahead of me, so I had like super ridiculous senioritis. So having the high enough grades to skip out on finals was not going to happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, so that wasn't going to happen. I that was that carrot was dangled, but yeah, no. That was not going to happen for me. Speaking of, we this is your second week in a row on the show, and we hadn't talked about your little baby girl that was just born a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, uh, Her name is Skyla. um, Skyla Rain Dark. She's, uh, you know, uh, she's uh, four weeks old today um, in our our group text. Um, She came a little bit early, but um, she... uh, originally she was supposed to come the day after the national championship or even the day of the national championship. Um, so I was, I was stressing about that, um, a little bit. I'm like, well, hopefully it's, hopefully it's early enough in the day to where we can, I can still see it. And, uh, obviously my wife didn't care too much for that. Um, Neither that did worry, Scott. But yeah, no, she, she didn't give a shit. She had, no, but her thing was she wanted to get here early enough to watch it in person and that right there, that's dedication. She heard, she heard all the barking. She heard all the, the shit talking all year. She's like, I got to see them dogs. Them dogs is hell. I got to see them in person. So she, uh, she made, she came, uh, she came about a week before the natty and, um, and, uh, she's doing well, doing well. Um, um, you know, first since she made her appearance, since she made her appearance, no team has come within 58 points. (laughs) She is the good luck charm. Um, she is, and I, and I think we we may have talked about this before too. Um, this is like super tangent, but the last time that we watched a game together, um, we went uh, out to one of the restaurants in Savannah, and that was the SEC championship game against Alabama, and they lost. So you can blame that on us. That's our fault because since then, um, what seventeen and zero? Yeah, so, but we um, also watch we also watched the Vanderbilt game. That year. But we did that on our phones, though. That was kind of counted, kind of. We were were, um, on a boat speeding through the intercoastal waterway watching that on our phones. Yeah. 
So I don't know. Half half paying attention to it. So yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah. So I know we. I know Wes and I have already said congratulations. But since we had you on the show, I wanted to say it again. And I will tell you from the uh, from the what two hours I've spent with her, she is awesome. Even though you say she doesn't like to sleep, she did the entire time. <laughs> she makes the, all of my kids make us look like we're uh, liars about them. Uh, <laughs> she's I'm I don't think you can hear her now. You might be able to. She's right above the room that I'm in, but she's I, she's probably screaming. And even if she's not, I like <laughs> I phantom here screaming. So um, or, I shouldn't say I'm crying. Not. To, <laughs> She's okay. She's not hurting. She's colicky. Oh. All right. So now is a segment that I've honestly been not looking forward to. Mm. And this is where we're talking about the alleged nefarious activities of some of the players. Current and very recently former. One thing, one thing, uh, as you get into that, the, this begs the question before we go over all that, has, uh, has Mark Rick lost control of the program? Some are asking. It's been a problem for a long time. Very long. <laughs> you know, from those days of players not, not like leaving class to walk little old ladies across the street and getting arrested for it to, uh, to the current state of the program. <laughs> it's gone up quite a bit. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta talk to Mark. He's still there in Athens, so we gotta, gotta get him under control. He's gotta, he's gotta do better. So I do want to start this off by talking about the Rara Thomas situation, and this is the part that I definitely did not want to talk about, especially until a lot more details came out, and they have since it all happened. But I want to start this off by saying, on this show, we truly believe innocent until proven guilty. Because that should still be a foundation in American society, even though it is very much not. But we, we are going to go by that, especially with stories like this. So... Rara Thomas was arrested on felony false imprisonment charges and misdemeanor family violence charges. And to be clear, while parts of the story are out, the entire story is not out yet. It may never be out. You know, that's just kind of how some of these things happen. But if you have a desire to read about it, you can just give it a quick Google. It's multiple, multiple outlets have done deep dives in the police report and all that good stuff. And from what I have read, both parties made physical contact with each other in a violent manner. And both parties destroyed property. So, you know, no telling what it is. No telling the truth behind it. Um, because from what I also read, when the police first showed up, Everybody was telling one story. And then before the police left, everybody was telling an entirely different story. Mm. So it's it's all over the place. And what I mean, what else do you expect with college kids? But I mean, not the violence thing, but I mean like having different stories about everything. And mm. but I with this situation, I want to 
when everybody thinks back with the Adam Anderson situation, right? Because as soon as Kirby got wind that it could possibly be legitimate, he indefinitely suspended Adam Anderson right off the rip. As soon as he sat him down and was like, what happened? He was like, all right, you're stepping away until things get cleared up. And as soon as it became evident that it was actually legitimate, he was indefinitely suspended, dismissed, kicked off the team. That was it. So with the history of what Kirby has done with other players and that have put themselves in bad situations, I trust Kirby Smart to do the right thing by what actually happened and what plays out in the courtroom. Personally, I mean, even when you want to throw it back way back to Jonathan Ledbetter, he had an alcohol problem. He got help by all accounts of everyone that knows him. Now he is a phenomenal person with no addiction issues. Devontae Wyatt got arrested on domestic violence charges where he kicked in his girlfriend's door. He went to counseling. That's one thing about Kirby Smart and the way the programs run now. Like if you have a problem, they will take time away from the team to get you help. And once mm-hmm. you once you've got yourself under control, then you can come back. But I I truly think that Kirby prides himself on developing people and players. And everything he's done so far within the program and for these players has been the right thing. And I trust him to do that moving forward. Absolutely. Hey, but yeah, I, I have nothing to add to that. I, um, that is refreshing to see instead of just like kicking them and dismissing ki- and dismissing these kids, like actually giving them the help that they deserve. Because in a way, it's a cry for help, of course. I mean, for them to get caught doing something, you know, uh, serious enough or getting, you know, accused of doing something. Um, it's, 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 it's good to help try to re- rehabilitate or rehabilitate, um, these kids so they can be productive members of society going forward, whether they have a football career or not. So that's, I mean, that is something to be proud of, uh, for the program, even, you know, with all the, you know, stuff coming out with, you know, some of these guys with alleged, alleged situations that, um, the team will look out for the player, not just what's in the best interest of like winning. So that's, yeah. that's always good. This is something to be and- proud of. And the way you put it kind of makes me – I gives me another thought is that if they were kicked off the team, how many of these people and players would seek help on their own unless they were set, unless they were told, if you want to stay here, you're going to counseling. You're, you, you don't have a choice. Your choice is leaving your football careers over or we're getting you help to get on the right path. And you could be, if that were the case, you got kicked off and just, you know, left, left to your own devices. Um, I mean, you can be, you know, spiteful, not, well, I should say vengeful necessarily, but bitter about it and not getting help. And it could spiral into something even more serious. So um, again, good on the program for, for, uh, for trying to help these guys out when they see, you know, even a little bit of smoke um, or, you know, believe that something could be happening or could have happened. Yeah. And and I, you know, I don't want to put all of the praise on Kirby because once mm-hmm. once the athletic department staff was changed, a lot of these changes went into effect of where they were willing and able to give mm-hmm. players this help. So I feel like Josh Brooks and even uh, President Jerry Moorhead deserve a lot of credit in that as well of changing with 
not just the climate of the sport, but the climate of society and being willing and able to give these guys help. Keep it up with the times. It's important. It's important. I mean, it's, you can see so I mean, you see so many people get kicked off. I mean, it, it could be it could be worse too if you think back. And obviously, this is years ago now. But like with Les Miles and uh, uh, the Honey Badger, Tyra Matthew, um, how many yeah, how many chances that he got? And it's like okay, you kind of just sweep it under the rug. And it got to the point where what he failed like what does it like at least a dozen drug tests like, um, and he was not getting the help that he needed. Um, with that, obviously, it worked out for him in the NFL and all that, but it could have been a lot worse for him. So yeah, and I, and you know, great on great on him for being able and willing to seek out that help outside of it being provided for him to get where he is today. Because I mean, phenomenal player was and is still to this day. But there's, I mean, there's in the history of college football. I mean, even just over the last twenty years. There's probably dozens, if not hundreds of people that were dismissed from different athletics programs that didn't have the ability to get help on their own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So now now we're going to move on to Stetson. (laughs) And there's actually two things with Stetson, surprisingly enough. Um. So the case in Dallas with the public's intoxication thing. And so this is a slight tangent. Public intoxication in itself does not make sense to me as a criminal charge. And I say that because there is an entire industry in college towns, big cities, small towns, everywhere across this country, an industry is built on drinking in public. but then you can get arrested for it? I mean, even where we're at in Savannah, I mean, they'll, they'll sit outside of the uh, open container zones and try to get you. I mean, like, they, they know yeah. what they're doing. But Yeah. You know, and for those of you know. guys that don't know, there are areas within the city of Savannah that are open container. Like, you can get a to-go liquor drink at a bar in a plastic cup and just walk down the street getting drunk. But then fact, there are certain lines. So that's they, they, a bunch more. Even the last year, they opened up a ton more of places that's just grab and go drinks. Oh, yeah. I mean, just just downtown between City Market and River Street, there's Fat Tuesdays, two Wet Willies, the Frosty Frog. Mm. And I, I mean, there's... I think there's two fat. There's a Fat Tuesday on River Street too. I think it's like at oh. the very end. I think. All right, so there's two Fat Tuesdays, two Wet Willies, Within and a Frosty mind. Frog. And these are all like frozen daiquiri places that don't make their drinks with rum. It's Everclear. But then there's yep. a certain point in the city where if you take, like, if you go from this side of the street to that side of the street, you're getting arrested. Mm-hmm. And it and it's not clear. It's not marked. If it no. was, then <laughs> no. then people might be more careful. I mean, not saying if you know if you're if you're you know under the influence that you're reading all the signs and stuff, but at least you have a fighting chance. Yeah, and I, you know, the whole thing in itself doesn't make sense to me. But we're not going to get into uh, opinions on the law because I feel like we lose a lot of listeners on that. 
Yeah, I'm going um, <laughs> But so what I've heard about Stetson's case in particular is that he knocked on a bunch of doors at like four in the morning. Thug. And I'll be honest, if somebody was drunkenly knocking on my door at four o'clock in the morning, I probably would call the cops. Yeah, that's fair. So if that's the case, while the treatment of arresting him and holding him for 12 hours may have been a little bit much, some sort of action was necessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe once they got there and saw who it was, they were like, oh, we're going to take you in instead of just like take you to your hotel room and tell you not to leave for the rest of the night. But who knows? But regardless of it, in his situation of already being questioned to even get drafted, probably not, probably not the best move. No, but, but, um, Baker still went number one overall after his video of the police tackling him when he was running away when he was shit-faced. Right, and apparently, apparently, those cops are just as athletic as some players in the NFL. (laughs) That was impressive. He got lit the fuck up. Well, I mean, he was an Oklahoma player in Fayetteville, Arkansas. That may have had a little bit to do with it. Why? Why? What reason so, would he have to go there? I still, it still boggles boggles my mind that he had a reason to go to Fayetteville. I will say, okay. I have some friends that are Arkansas fans and from Arkansas, and they say Fayetteville on a Saturday night is a phenomenal time. It sounds fun, but I mean, if you're if you're the if you're a Heisman caliber quarterback in, I mean, obviously I haven't been to you know Norman, Oklahoma. I mean, it's not not Baton Rouge or Athens or anything like that, but I feel like you can get a similar situation, you know, at home in Norman versus Fayetteville, but Fayetteville is, that's definitely on the bucket list to go to though. It it sounds like a good time. Yeah, no, I agree. But Stetson's other, and this isn't even necessarily, I mean, it's definitely not a legal issue and it's not necessarily like bad behavior, but it's a decision that's, questionable to a lot of people, including myself. And that is Stetson declining the invitation to the Senior Bowl, which I, it doesn't make sense to me at all. And, I mean, Stetson's entire career, the foundation of the legend that is Stetson Bennett was betting on himself time and time again. Like not taking, not taking, you're not good enough for an answer. Like it was, I am good enough. I'm just going to show you that I'm good enough. And he would have a chance to do that with pro coaches and scouts and this year's best NFL draft talent at the senior bowl. And he chose not to do it. And on one hand, like, you've got the combine, you've got pro day, which are much more controlled environments. Like, for example, pro day, you're throwing to your receivers. At the combine, it's mostly individual drills. So it's all things that you can control. But when if he gets drafted, and I think he will. Yeah. 
you're not like you don't know the guys that you're throwing to when you get to camp. So I but there are some rumblings that he was not as healthy as he seemed going into the last few games of the season. Hmm. And if that is the case, it makes sense not to go to the senior bowl. It's two weeks after two, three weeks after the national championship. He didn't get he didn't get hit very much, if at all, in the in the national championship game. But that Ohio State game is tough. Like he took some big hits. So if he wasn't that healthy, and it appears that he was dealing with some sort of an arm injury for the back half of the season, you know, we all know the uh the infamous Mississippi State. He's getting his arm worked on by somebody, one of these girls in the athletic staff, and he's flirting with a girl on the stands. I mean, if he wasn't healthy, I, I get it. But this is another one of those situations where from the outside looking in, it's very easy to question. But Stetson has a team around him of doctors, agents, family, friends, that are helping him make the decision on the senior bowl and that sort of thing. And if he and his team think that's the right decision for him and his health, I just think you got to defer to the people that are close to the situation. You know what I mean? And honestly, like what else, the other, like another uh, perspective is like, what, what else does he have to put on tape at this point? point i mean i can see maybe his point of view that the the measurables like if i don't i, don't, I guess they don't, i don't know how often they actually do it at the pro bowl i, I know it's not pro bowl the uh, senior bowl but i know it's more at the combine and pro day and whatnot but uh things like you know getting picked at like what if he you know this is something that doesn't come back favorably that you know he thought like i can i can see that as being uh being an issue for him um and just the fact that maybe he's he was overall in that 15 game season is a lot. That's a long ass time. He didn't miss, you know, obviously he had the, you know, what you talked about with the, with, you know, possible injuries and, you know, his forearm getting <laughs> massaged in, at the uh, Mizzou game or whatever. But that's a long season. I, how much, how much could he possibly be helped with a good showing at it? Cause we, I mean, he already had uh, epic performance at the, um, at the Natty uh, Peach Bowl, the other two playoff games. He put, well, yeah, the other two playoff games he played well, as, uh, really well as um, as well. So I mean, I can I can see it. Like, is he going to go from uh, Mel Kiper saying a third round pick to like a second round? Probably not. Like third round is probably his ceiling, just because of all of the uh, his age. Unfortunately, I know everyone brings that up, but I mean that's a real thing. Like a twenty five year old quarterback turning twenty six in that during that season as a rookie is is a tough sell. Um, to uh, the teams, but I do think he'll get drafted. Though um, I don't know how. Again, I don't know how much the pre-draft stuff will help help him. I can only see it hurting him, unless you know. Besides, like the forty and like shuttle times and stuff like that. I think if he runs a fast forty, that might that might be the one thing that can help him out. Yeah, I think I personally think anything under like a anything under a four seven is going to help him in forty time. 
And I've heard he's, I mean, not from reliable sources necessarily, but he's, you know, our, our favorite adjectives about um, guys that look like him. I mean, he's obviously sneaky athletic, but like he's, he's, he's fast. He's, you know, I mean, just, I mean, go back and look at the 75 yard run he had against Auburn. Um, obviously he wasn't doing that every week, but he might be able to go faster than that at four seven, but yeah, four seven minimum can help him. And, you know, for what it's worth, this was a rumor that I saw on the internet. So take this with a grain Those of salt. Are facts. Those are facts. The facts, right, right, right. I saw somewhere on the internet that his that run against Auburn, he got up to almost 20 miles an hour. That's Daniel Jones-esque. Like that. Damn. And we all know what kind of athlete Daniel Jones is. Vanilla Vic. Some are saying some are those saying. those some may be institutionalized, but some are saying <laughs> there should be. All right, you ready to uh, to speculate about some offensive coordinator news? Yeah, let's get reckless. Let's go. All right. So disclaimer before we get into any of this. It is January 31st at 9.02 p.m. Nothing official anywhere has been announced. And the rest of this is going to be mostly for fun. There are very few facts because mo I don't know Todd Munkin's agent. Do you know Todd Munkin's agent? I wish. I'd be in a better are position you <laughs> if, I, if I did. <laughs> Are you friends with Todd Munkin or Kirby Smart? One day. One day. <laughs> hopefully he sees this. Please, guys. Please. I mean, when I'm friends with Todd Munkin and Kirby Smart, I typically wake up a few minutes later. So, <laughs> so after a certain point, and it's going to be very obvious where that point is, it's all speculation. And it's all having fun and throwing some ideas out there, and for entertainment purposes only. Mm -hmm. But we all know at this point, Todd Munkin has interviewed for the Baltimore Ravens and Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive coordinator jobs. It appears by Munkin's comments after his interview with the Ravens that he doesn't want to be in Baltimore because – it was shortly after that when he talked about how much he loves Athens and wants to retire in Athens, and it would take a lot to get him to leave. And, I mean, to be honest, who wants to be in Baltimore? Besides for the crab cakes, I can't think of anything. I mean, going back to the Harbaugh stuff, I mean, do you want to go play for John? I mean, he's a little bit less um, abrasive, I guess, probably the right word for that, than, uh, than Jim. But, I mean, it's the same family. Yeah, and I mean, between the crime, the cold, oh, yeah, the, crime. Yeah. the stench from all that shit that floats down from D.C., it just seems like an awful place to exist. Yeah, I, I, I not not on my bucket list. Not Definitely Fayetteville's ahead of that. Yeah, Fayetteville, Arkansas is ahead of Baltimore, Maryland. Way above that. Not even the same stratosphere. Not the same. Uh, yeah, no, I would say I would say Fayetteville, Arkansas on a game day is like, I'd say top 10% of the bucket list. 
Mm-hmm. And going to Baltimore at any time or any point is probably like bottom 10%. You could always do like a, um, you know, one of the tour, like the, you know, the, um, the like old trolley tours in Baltimore and go see all the scenes from the wire. If you really want to, if you, if you want to put yourself in danger, go for it. I mean, I'd go to Annapolis, Maryland, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Baltimore, just not, no, not really. Yeah, no. Yeah. My parents had a layover in Baltimore when they came down here a few weeks ago when Skyla was born. So they didn't have much good to say about the airport. So I can't imagine what the rest of the city would be like. You can tell a lot about a city by the airport. Savannah's awesome. It's adorable. Come see so it. So easy. So easy. One one TSA person working. You can. Atlanta. <laughs> so easy. Too many fucking people. Too many fucking stupid people. Oh my god. Correct. I, yeah. But on the other hand, Nashville and New Orleans, it's just music and drinking everywhere. Just like the city. Vegas. Vegas. You can fucking yes. gamble as soon as you get off the plane. Amazing. Yes. yes. It, there's a liquor store that you don't have to fly internationally to use in Vegas. Like the duty-free In the one. airport. They usually have duty-free sto- uh, liquor stores. Well, I'm saying in, uh, you, don't, store you don't have to be flying internationally to use a liquor store in the Vegas airport. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, airports are very indicative of the cities. But anyways, back to uh, back to Todd Munkin and the offensive coordinator job. <laughs> Seamless transition. <laughs> Seamless. Yeah. Seamless. Um, but as of today, he did talk with Tampa Bay about their job, interviewed, and it was announced that they talked. Like Tampa Bay put out a press release that they interviewed Todd Munkin which I thought was kind of odd that it was just press release. Tampa Bay Buccaneers interviewed Todd Munkin for the offensive coordinator job. Okay. But but there was no sort of – there was no mention of an offer or a hire or working on a deal or anything. That seems a little it's a little peculiar to me. It's, it's odd, yes, yes. And – I feel like if he were to take that job or be interested in that job, Adam Schefter, of all people, I'm sure he would have said something by now, right? Yeah, for sure. But there's, it's almost been radio silence since they announced that the interview took place. Which For him – oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. For him, for him to take that job – is that is is Tampa an attractive job right now? I know um, what's his face. Kellen Moore took the job in San, not San Diego. It should be San Diego, but the uh, with the Chargers, uh, that's a way more attractive job um, than Tampa. At this point, you don't know if Tom Brady's coming back. The team's getting old as shit. They probably they probably should be blown up regardless if Tom Brady comes back or not. Which I guess if he came back, they wouldn't blow it up. But um, you have a brand new head coach, and you, it's just so much uncertainty. The only reason why I would think that he would he may want to go there, like he, that he would take it, if if you know, excluding money, because I think he's going to get more money from Georgia anyway, um, is that he just likes the area. He's familiar with the ownership, um, and he's just 
maybe he wants to retire to Florida. Who know, uh, Who knows? But I, from the beginning of it, I just thought it was a ploy to get more money. Just, you know, just use it as leverage, which he has every right in the world to do. Go get your money. So I'm doing a search on it now because as of today, Todd Munkin is the highest paid offensive coordinator in college football, highest paid assistant coach of any position in college football by a significant margin. And like I said, I'm trying to pull this up now. He already makes a million dollars more than the average NFL offensive coordinator salary a year in Athens. Insane. I mean, he's earned and it. <laughs> he's earned it. Absolutely. I mean, 2022 was the best offense in school history. Yards per mm-hmm. game, yards per play, explosiveness, everything. But all accounts are he hates recruiting, which is why when you go on 247 and you see an offensive, like a big-name offensive player in on the primary recruiter, it's never Todd Munkin. Unless it's a guy that he personally has like sought out, watched the tape, decided this guy can do extremely well in my offense. And it is few and far between. And I don't blame him because he is no. 61 years old. And if you were 61 years old, would you want to have to learn Gen Z lingo to go talk to some wide receiver in fucking Oregon? <laughs> Dude, can we see Todd do like a TikTok dance or something? Like, holy shit. That would be an- <laughs> Get on some of the trends, Todd. It, Todd Munkin walks in, sits down. You hear his knees cracking as he sits down on his couch and goes, um, he goes, hey, guy, I would have you explosive AF, no cap, for real, for real. <laughs> no, Hello, it's not happening. No. No. So I get it. I mean, I even at my age, which, you know, I'm still in my 20s, I don't want to go talk to high schoolers. Fuck that. I don't want to talk to middle schoolers. <laughs> like, I, I legitimately, when I moved to Savannah, I went to a few gyms, tried them out. The ones that had a bunch of high schoolers in them, I didn't join. I drive 30 minutes to go to the gym because they don't have high schoolers in there. I don't I don't like these people. No. No. And if you are a high schooler listening to this podcast, if you're not a piece of shit, I like you. There's just a lot of piece of shits between ninth grade and twelfth grade. Mm-hmm. But like you talked about, it's possible that all of this was uh he was doing the annual Jim Harbaugh I want more money saga. Or, you know, maybe he was just feeling it out because Todd Munkin wants to be an NFL head coach one day. You know, these things are possible. But, I mean, with the Tampa part, I agree with you. That Tampa roster is held together with two-part epoxy missing a part. Like, you got the glue but not the hardener because that salary cap is – it's trying to – it's like trying to um, get water out of your boat, but you're using a colander. There's there's 
you're losing a lot because they paid all these guys a ton of money in short-ish deals where a lot of it was up front. But Tampa flirts with that salary cap every year. And especially with Tom Brady, you don't know if he's coming back. You don't know if you're going to be able to bring anyone else in. I, you know, I hope Todd Munkin comes back. Up front, bottom line, here's my opinion. I want Todd Munkin back. If if they got to raise donations a little bit on season tickets to if they're like, hey, donations went up a hundred dollars a seat this year, but all of that money is going to keeping Todd Munkin in Athens for another three years. Okay. Sign me up. Yeah, you're not gonna get any objections to that. No way. No. Not after the last few years, no. No, absolutely not. But as we talked about. This is kind of the point where most of everything else is going to be speculation and not facts. There are going to be some facts thrown in because you guys know I love my stats. I'm not good at math, but I love stats. So top of the list from reading between the lines and taking bits and pieces of information from interviews of people, especially, I want to say it was Dylan Rayola talked about. um, He he had a lot of good insight. He did. So, and I think you told me this, so you can go ahead and, uh, you can go ahead and talk about this part with what Rayola said. So uh, Dylan Rayola, uh, son of Detroit Lion legend, legendary center, uh, Dominic Rayola, which nobody here will fucking know, but that's okay. Um, (laughs) I try to forget him too. He was, Part of that 0-16 team. But anyway, um, he, um, uh, Dylan was on a, um, it was on YouTube and I was watching it. It was uploaded like yesterday. Um, and I wish I can give the credit to the, uh, to the channel that did it. I, I, I want to say it was something like UGA sports or something like that. It, I, I don't know for sure, but, um, I could always try to find it, uh, later on, but, um, he, uh, Dylan came on there from his home in Arizona and talked to the two, uh, the two hosts on there. And he talked about, um, about they, they asked one of the last questions they asked him was about uh, about Todd Munkin and he's you know he talked about how you know he liked he liked Todd Munkin he you know you know obviously he, he feels good about that but um, in the in the chance that he leaves he uh, Dylan said that Kirby said so playing this you know telephone here but that uh, that it would be taken care of in-house um, offensive coordinator wise, which initially I'm like, okay, that's probably good. But then as, as you're going to talk about in a second, um, scared the shit out of me. Um, cold sweats in the car. As I was, <laughs> I was back with them, like, Just having, having fucking flashbacks. And I was not, not happy about that. I, <laughs> at all, but if, if, but before you get into that, if you if if you search up the Dominic, uh, the, not Dominic, Dylan Ryle uh, uh, interview. It's, so I actually got really, it pulled up. Yeah. So if you just go into YouTube and look up Dylan Rayola, and that's D-Y-L-A-N-R-A-I-O-L-A. The very first thing that popped up for me is um, Rumors versus Facts by Georgia yeah, Bulldogs that's, Ball. Yes, that's the one. And it was an interview posted 23 hours ago as of 9 on the 31st. But top of the list from the rumblings and rumors, and I didn't tell you this, that we hear out of the program, 
is that if, and it is still a massive if, Todd Munkin decides to leave Athens, it looks like the leader in the doghouse, all puns intended, is Mike Bobo. Which, so if you need to pause this to start screaming and crying while you're driving or working, go ahead. We'll wait. All right, so now that you're done, um, so I understand that name creates a lot of division within the Georgia fan base. So as a stats person, I dug up some stats to talk about what Mike Bobo's offense looked like with the most talented rosters he had at the University of Georgia. So this is – it is not apples to oranges because – I mean, Mike Bobo runs eye formation stuff. Like you don't, you don't see that anymore. But, well, he used to run eye formation yeah. stuff, and later in his offensive coordinator career, up until like two years ago, he did not run. But at when he was at Georgia initially, he ran a lot of eye formation stuff. That's that's beyond the point. With his most talented rosters, while he was the offensive coordinator in Athens, 2012, 2013. 2014, right? Like that was two yards from a national championship. That was 2013 was the best offense in school history until this past season. You heard me correctly. Even the Todd Munkin offenses before last year, 2013 was the best offense in school history. And 2014 where they would have been able to do a lot of good things if it weren't for third and Grantham. Yep. So 2012, 467 yards per game, 7.1 yards per play. By all standards, even today, that is a very good offense. Mm -hmm. 2013, 477 yards per game, 6.6 yards per play. Yards per play went down a little bit. Yards per game went up a little bit. So that tells me they were running a lot more plays. But that's beside the point. We all know that Aaron Murray did better in a hurry-up two-minute drill than he did in really anything else. And I'm not saying that to be negative towards Aaron Murray because up until Stetson Bennett, he was the best quarterback, in my opinion, to ever play at the University of Georgia. That's more of a fact of how the style of play skews stats a little bit. 2014, 458 yards per game, 6.8 yards per play. To put that into perspective, the 2022 Alabama offense was 6.9 yards per play. So that's in between where these offenses were. Right? So these are Mike Bobo with Aaron Murray, Todd Gurley, and – Some wide receivers that most people can't name 10 years later. And that's not to be negative towards those guys. But, I mean, like, I remember Michael Bennett and Tavares King and Orson Charles. But beyond that, like, I I probably can't tell you a receiver off of any of those teams. What, Chris Durham or – I can't remember. Durham was a guy. Yeah. He – Stafford got him in Detroit as, like, just a pity player. And he played there for like two years and didn't do shit. But yeah. So we're going to compare those numbers to Todd Munkin's three years 
in Athens. Just for perspective, 2020, 424 yards per game, 6 point yards per play, 6.2 yards per play. That is worse than any of the talented rosters, any of the three most talented rosters that Mike Bobo had. 2021, 443 yards per game, 7 yards per play. It's gone up in both categories, but that is still less yards per game than any of those Mike Bobo offenses had. And once again, to put it into perspective, with the defense Jordan had in 2021, they they rarely had to go that far. So that, that makes that number make sense. And last year, and this uh, best offense in Georgia history, by far and away the best offense in school history, period. 501 yards per game, 7.2 yards per play. So yards per play is about what Mike Bobo's offense had in 2012, but with more yards per game. So, and so don't get don't get it twisted here, guys. I am not calling for Mike Bobo to replace Todd Munkin. If Todd Munkin moves on, I'm not saying that I would be that I want that hire. I'm not saying that I would necessarily be a fan of that hire. But what I'm saying is that we overreact because what sticks out in our minds about Mike Bobo offenses are those games, and we can all remember those games, where there was like three or four major injuries in a game, and it was run down the middle, run down the middle, run down the middle, pump the ball. I mean, there was one game, there were multiple games in in Mike Bobo's tenure as the offense coordinator at Georgia where the best running back that they had to put out on the field within because of injury was J.J. Green. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So with a more talented roster and the amount of support staff that Georgia currently has, it is entirely possible that Mike Bobo would have comparable numbers to what Todd Munkin had last year. So hopefully... Hopefully that that calms everyone's nerves about that a little bit. And like I said, I I'm like I, said, I don't even I'm not even necessarily saying I want that to happen if Todd Munkin moves on. But after digging it, into it a little bit, I'm not as concerned. Mm-hmm. We 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 definitely have given uh, Bobo shit, and we I mean we we tend to remember remember the bad stuff. But I mean when uh. When he got brought up to uh, when he got uh, put in as offensive coordinator at uh, Auburn, I'm like, oh, okay, their offense will be a little bit better. Obviously, they didn't have the talent that Georgia did in 2012, or obviously they have now. But it it there's worse things that could happen. There really is. We're just just giving him a hard time. It, so I mean, when he took over as Auburn's offensive coordinator, Auburn was quite possibly one of the least talented rosters in the SEC beyond be or. It, just in front of Vanderbilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And South Carolina, when he was their offensive coordinator for the back half of the season, or when he was their offensive coordinator and then interim head coach for the back half of the season, South Carolina's offense today and what they're doing today is nowhere close to the offensive talent they had with Mike Bobo as the offensive coordinator. Right. Yep. So – and like I said, this is not me trying to convince anybody that Mike Bobo is the right hire. 
this is me trying to get people to not freak out if it happens. And I mean, even with that, Todd Munkin after the SEC championship said that Mike Bobo was entirely responsible for those first two scripted drives in that game. He said that all of those plays in that sequence were Mike Bobo. And that wasn't somebody asked what Bobo's involvement of the offense was. That was in the press conference. Todd Munkin said, shout out Mike Bobo. This is what he did for us today. Okay. So let's – it's to the point in this program where if Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin trust somebody, I trust somebody. Mm -hmm. I mean, after back-to-back national championships, best offense in Georgia history, in the first two national championships since 1980, I don't don't think they're going to do the wrong thing intentionally. No, they want to keep it going. They don't yeah. want to. They, they don't want to. You know, end that goodwill. No, why would they? Yeah, but here's the part that we've been teasing. Here, here's the fun part. So I've gotten together a couple names that I would like. Um, if Georgia go, if Todd Munkin leaves, and Georgia doesn't go with Todd Munkin. Here are the three names that I would personally like to see Kirby go after. And they're all, I mean, uh, yeah, they're pretty much all long shots. But, boy, would they be fun. (laughs) Yes. So, first on my list, Ryan Grubb. If you don't pay close attention to college football, you may not know that name. Ryan Grubb is the offense coordinator for the Washington Huskies. We all saw those guys dismantle the Florida Gators in the Las Vegas Bowl. But more importantly, Washington in 2021 was a two- or three-win program. With the bowl game, they won 10 games this past season. And had, I mean, it's a very easy argument that Michael Penix Jr. should have been invited to New York for the Heisman ceremony. Had insane stats in Ryan Grubb's offense. Mm-hmm. And if you don't pay close attention, you just listen to a couple of podcasts. Nick Saban, his very first choice after Bill O'Brien left was Mike Grubb or Ryan Grubb. Like that was the first phone call made. The first interview was Ryan Grubb. And to be, and he turned Nick Saban down. Like, he did the interview and was like, eh, not feeling it. What that could mean is that he wants to build Washington or he doesn't want to work for Nick Saban. Both of those are entirely possible because we've Mm -hmm. seen what happens in an Alabama offense if you don't win a national championship. Because, like we just talked about, 2022 University of Alabama's offense, 6.9 yards per play. Very good. Very good. And they still won 10 games. Bill O'Brien was one of the most hated coaches in America at the end of the season. I think it's his face more than anything, or his uh, his chin. I Look, I, I don't know. But 
He had a Heisman winner in 2021 in Bryce Young and was walked out the door the next season in a quote-unquote mutual parting of ways. Ain't nothing mutual about that. No. <laughs> if you if Ryan Grubb, who is an up-and-coming name in the sport, sees, oh, yeah, Bill O'Brien had a Heisman winner and then was essentially fired the next year, I don't want that job. Yeah, but, what, what are the realistic expectations? You can you even even if you're Alabama, you can't win the Natty every single year. Yeah, but yeah. if he sees, oh, Georgia had Todd Munkin, one of the best offense or one of if not the best offense in the country, who then leapfrogged into the NFL. I and not only that, but personally, and there's probably a lot of bias here. I feel like Nick or I feel like Kirby would be easier to work for than Nick Saban. Slightly, I can see that. Um, yeah, Kirby's. I think Kirby's more understanding. Wasn't he the one that gave uh, everybody like Fridays off during a uh, during COVID yeah. or the season after? Yeah. So I yeah saving yeah. that. in the off season, Kirby or Kirby doesn't want people coming in early on Fridays. In the off season, he wants you to have weekends off unless you're on a recruiting trip. Like he wants you to spend time with your family. And that goes a long way to getting uh, getting that assistant help. That could that could be the difference between going here or, uh, or Bama, or you know some other top tier program. But if Ryan Grubb, if everything happens, Ryan Grubb also turns Georgia down because he wants to stay at Washington. Jeff Levy. People in SEC circles know about Jeff Levy. People in Big Twelve circles know about Jeff Levy. Jeff Levy is currently the Oklahoma offensive coordinator um, under Brent Venables. And I know Oklahoma is not good this year. Completely, completely understand that. But Jeff Levy was the offensive coordinator for Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin up until this past season. And those first two years under Lane Kiffin were phenomenal offenses. And Oklahoma lost a bunch of games this year. Understand understand that. Even with those losses, Oklahoma had the 13th ranked total offense in the country when they didn't have their starting or second string quarterback for multiple games a season. I I would take Jeff Levy in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. And then I this next name is by far the longest shot. By far. It's a, uh, to me, it's an interesting young coach to potentially go after. That would be an extremely hard hire. Guy named Will Stein. Most, I would venture to say, almost every single one of our listeners have no idea who Will Stein is. He's currently the offensive coordinator at Oregon. But he was the offensive coordinator at UTSA until December. And if you don't know who UTSA is, that's because they've only been in Division One for a few years. They've won, or they won the, um, oh, what conference are they in? Is it Sunbelt? No, I think they're in Conference USA. Conference USA. USA. Yes. So yeah. they've won Conference USA back-to-back years. 
in their first few years in Division One, they've won Conference USA in back-to-back years with a very explosive offense. They were 12th in the country this past season with an average of 476 yards per game and 6.37 yards per play at UTSA. The reason that I think – Sorry. What's that? Didn't they give – they played Texas this year, right? I think. I want to say they did. Maybe it was last year. It might have been Texas Tech. They gave one of the one of the Big Twelve uh, Texas schools uh, hell. I believe. Yeah. I could be totally just dreaming that, but I feel like yeah. they gave somebody problems. No, I, I am, I'm remembering that too. If you want to look that up, I'll. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, pulling that up right now. So everybody knows Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning have a great relationship. Kirby Smart respects the hell out of Dan Lanning and the Oregon program. And with Will Stein being on staff for two months at this point, I don't I don't even know if Kirby would go after Will Stein because of that. But I think it would be even harder for him to get Will Stein as an offensive coordinator. And I like I said, I, that would be I would love to see that higher. I would love to see that just because it is a young guy that is probably going to be around for a while if you get him at the door. But, I mean, he's at Oregon now. And he, the way he developed so, the kid, that, the quarterback that UTSA has, and he, he's staying, by the way. I think he's like a fifth or sixth year senior, um, the quarterback that UTSA has. Um, he could have got money to play at another school, but he chose to st- stick it out at in in, uh, in uh, San Antonio. Um, so I looked it up. I was totally wrong about that. Uh, Texas won forty-one to twenty against them. Now they did give Houston problems. Uh, they did lose to Houston. It was thirty-seven, thirty-five, and in triple overtime. So that's the one I was thinking of. And Houston was ranked week one. Yeah, they were they were twenty-fourth uh, according to CBS Sports. And. So, start of the season, UTSA went one and two. And then rattled off nine straight wins against teams that a lot of people are going to recognize, especially from this past season. You had Western Kentucky, who's got a phenomenal air raid offense. They beat North Texas twice in the same year, which beating anybody twice in the same year is difficult, especially because North Texas was actually good this year. They beat UAB in a double overtime game, and UAB had one of the best group of five defenses in the country. And then without Will Stein in the bowl game, they lost to Troy 18 to 12. I mean, coming from scoring an average of like 40 points a game to only getting 12 in the bowl game without your offensive coordinator, that tells me just how good of an offensive coordinator he really is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'll be interesting to watch next year at Oregon, but I would even – I would much prefer if he is – if we don't have Todd Munkin, I I would really like to see Will Stein in Athens. Yes, that would be – that would be nice, like real nice. Yeah, 
that would be an interesting dynamic between uh not that Dan Lanning's gonna see Kirby a whole lot, like they're not gonna play each other that often, but that would be an interesting dynamic to see them together if that if that were to happen if Kirby stole his offensive coordinator after just hiring but him. With the expanded playoff, with the expanded playoff, Oregon and Georgia might play more often than uh than you would think. True, true. Is there are there any names that you would like to see Georgia go after if Todd Munkin leaves? No, I think I mean you mentioned uh uh I have a brain part. I mean pretty much everybody that you mentioned uh outside of Stein, like that's kind of who I who I thought of. Webby was the the main one, but no, because I'm just I'm kind of resigned to the fact that if if Munkin left, it would be it would be Bobo. So I haven't I haven't put too too much thought behind it because I've kind of yeah, like I said, I've, I've resigned myself to the fact that that's probably what it would be. Um, again, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but you're not going to get people like cheering for that at all. Like you're not going to excite the fan base over Mike Bobo again, fifteen years or what ten years later. Yeah. And so, excuse me, yes. Just to just to expand on my potential excitement, on the potential of possibly even remotely talking to Ryan Grove about being the offensive coordinator. We all know Tennessee had the number one offense in the country. Blah blah blah. Whatever. You know who's number two. Mm-hmm. It's Washington in Ryan Grubb's offense. Okay. You do. 515 yards game, 6.88 yards per play. Ooh. Total of 6,705 yards of offense on the season. Jeez. Jeez. So if Todd Munkin moves on and Georgia starts interviewing, offensive coordinator candidates and y'all see the name Ryan Grubb pop up get excited Mm -hmm. get excited but even you know even if they decide to go with Mike Bobo if you listen to this show give him a chance don't hate him off the bat Mm -hmm. especially with how easy of this season or easy the first part of this season coming is the first four games is three nobodies in South Carolina at home. He has time to figure it out, whoever it is. I mean, especially with having a new quarterback coming in or, you know, whoever, whoever it's going to be. Yeah, whoever um, is that quarterback, they have plenty of time to figure it out coming into this year. And, and they, if it's Todd Munkin, I'll be ecstatic. If it's not, I, tr- I trust Kirby, you know? He he knows way he knows way more about what's best for the program than we do. Way more. Kirby Smart has forgotten more about football than all of the listeners of this show know combined. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Man. But if you don't have anything else, I think we're gonna close it out for tonight. Um no, I think I'm good. Um anything else? Save it for another time. I, yeah, I can't think of anything. That's that's pretty much it. All right. And um, 
for the listeners out there, we will we may have a couple of different people on with me in the month of February because Wes is um he's going down to Louisiana to uh to free the Atropians again. They they always seem to get into something. But uh for so Wes is scheduled to be on with us next week. And after that, for pretty much the month of February, he will be uh not available. But we will we're gonna keep going with at least one a week. If if some big things happen tomorrow, I may jump back on here and talk about it. But as always, we talk about it every week. Instagram is nothing.finer.pod, Twitter is at finerpod. Facebook group, searches on Facebook, YouTube, searches on fa- YouTube, make sure it's got our logo on it. Um, nothingfinerpod.com, all of our merchandise and stuff. We are working out some kinks with that because we haven't had very many orders to uh, to figure out those kinks yet. But if you guys order by the time you do it, we'll have them all worked out. We'll be good. Yeah. Everything will work. Um, you got anything else? No, I'm good. I'm ready to get up there to see that uh, that screaming baby. <laughs> All right. As always, guys, remember there is nothing finer in the land. Then a drunk, obnoxious George. Third to mile. Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullardy. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw. Lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.